So uh, I fancy myself the Grinch, but deep down inside, I actually love Christmas. I like almost everything about it. Um, I even like Santa Claus. He's okay with me. The Elf on the Shelf, I'm a little iffy about him. He's kind of creepy if you ask me. The thing that I really, 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 really like, though, is Advent. And the reason I say that is because Advent is specifically and almost exclusively a, a Christian focus. It's a Christian focus on the Advent, the arrival, the coming of Jesus as a baby. And this is the third week in a row that we've talked about Advent. Uh, these candles have traditional names, and we renamed them all. We've been doing that forever. My wife said, you can't do that. I said, watch me. And uh, so we do that. And um, the first candle that we talked about was a candle that talked about God's compassion. And the next one was one that talked about God's grace. And here on his third Sunday of Advent, we're going to be talking about how God is slow to anger. Slow to anger. It's on the bottom of your screen there. I do want to say, um, as I begin, that I am really indebted to the Bible Project. If you haven't seen their videos on YouTube, they're worth your time. They're really fun to watch and very informative, very good educators. And I'm also indebted to Dane Ortland uh, regarding much of what I've been sharing in this series in his book, Gentle and Lowly. And uh, so I want to make sure you know uh, they have been influential in uh, what I'm presenting to you today. So I have this, I have this perspective Maybe it's an opinion. Yeah, it's an opinion. I have what in Clearfield County is an unpopular opinion. And I know some of you don't even like it. You're not going to like it when I say it. But here it is. Guards, hold the door shut because some people will want to leave when I say this. I think electric cars are really cool. I do. I think they're so cool. And uh, not all of them. I mean, some of them are like matchbox cars. That's not what we're talking about. But wow, some of them are just really cool. And I don't like them. I'm not saying I like them because that will fix the environment. And I'm not saying economically they're a better idea. And I'm not saying that they're the answer to life, the universe, and everything. I don't think that. I'm saying that those things are really quick. I mean, they are so quick in their acceleration. And I think that's really cool. I mean, there are other cars that will go from zero to 60 faster than a fully equipped Tesla, but frankly, I'll probably never drive a Bugatti. I'll probably never drive a Lamborghini. I like the idea of putting an electric motor and tying that to a drivetrain that's hooked to rubber tires and just watching those tires smoke right off of that thing. That sounds fun to me. You probably know if you're a gearhead, I remember seeing these charts when I was a kid reading about cars that they're, on, on a gasoline engine, there's a power band. You know, you start off at 500 RPM, and, but once you get up there, certain power bands, certain RPM rather, you, get, you have all your horsepower. And it takes that moment in time to get up there. And that's really a short moment these days compared to what it was when I was a kid. But um, practically speaking, there is no significant power band on an electric motor. When you hit that, it's instant on. Instant on, and that's why a Tesla, fully equipped, can go from zero to 60 in under two seconds. Can you imagine the cops trying to catch you if you did that, right? Wow, wow. You throw the switch, instant on. Sounds like fun. By the way, that instant on phenomenon, that's been around for a while. It's been around for a good long while. It has been in my soul just about all my life that I have an instant on thing, I call it my temper, right? And my temper, man, it's short. I'm doing better, but it's still there. And it's instant on. Let me tell you a place that shows up. 
I'm on the internet, it quits working. I do everything I know to do, I can't connect. So I do what all of us hate to do. I call my internet service provider. I pack a lunch, I bring a sleeping bag. (laughs) And I hear the recording. Hi, thanks for calling your internet service provider. If you're having trouble connecting to the internet, log on to our website and try the troubleshooting steps indicated there. Zero to 60, baby. I am so mad now, right? My anger is instant on. I am a Tesla. It happens in other everyday things. You know, I go out and I try to move something I shouldn't move or I'm climbing and ducking under something. I I bought motor oil for my car this week. I'm planning to change the oil this coming week. and, And there's this beautiful, beautiful woman that I'm married to. And she'll say, you just had surgery. And I'll look at her. And then she'll say, I hate it. You're not 18 anymore. Instant on, baby. I am so, I'm 18. But you know, the things in life that kind of slow us down, they can provoke us to anger. Just one more. I have health insurance, thank God. And I called them and I said, hey, my my health provider said I haven't reached my deductible yet. That is not possible. You're wrong. Fix it. And the woman on the other end of the phone is so gracious and so kind. And after about 10 minutes, she gets it through my thick head, how my deductible actually works. And now I'm not just mad that it's going to cost me money, but I'm mad that she was right and I was wrong. That bugs me. Instant on, right? Anger. Anger. My fuse is short. My anger is quick. I am a Tesla, and that is not a good thing. I feel comfortable confessing these things to you because I know that all of us struggle with anger. It's part of the human condition. And most of us, at least the honest ones and the good-hearted ones, wish that we were not quite so short-tempered. We wish that we were slow to anger. Slow to anger. That's what God is. That's one of the words that he uses to describe himself in our key passage through this Advent season. We've been talking about some characteristics of God that God uses to describe himself over the past couple weeks. They come from Exodus 34, which is on the screen in verse 6. Speaking of God, it says, He passed before Moses proclaiming, and here he is. God is going to show Moses his goodness. And he says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's really where we've been pulling the theme of this Advent from, from those descriptors, God is compassionate, God is gracious, God is slow to anger, God abounds in love, and God is marked by faithfulness. And it's funny, as we've looked at those words, in my mind, they've all taken me right to Advent. In my mind, they've taken me right to the manger and showed me what is in the manger, the very goodness of God, his compassion, his grace his being slow to anger. We're going to look at John chapter 1 in a minute. It's kind of the passage, the Advent passage we're going to be reading from. If you have a Bible app, there'll be a Bible app event that you can follow along there. And I want to begin by talking to you this Advent season about the fact that God had some reasons to be angry at the first Christmas. And I say that because, number one, the people rejected Jesus. Let's read about that. Your Bible's open to John 14. Follow along, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And by the way, the Word, that title, the Word, that's referring to Jesus. And that will become evident as we read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All, I'm sorry, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, he talks about John the Baptist. We're going to skip that part and jump down to verse 9. Can you do that? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, or, nor a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to tell you, that is one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. I've loved that passage since maybe I first discovered it. Such a beautiful way to tell the Christmas story, the Advent story. But even though I love that passage of Scripture, there's that verse 11 always, always made me sad and still does. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came to earth, he came to us, and we rejected him. Now, I'm not suggesting that happened necessarily the night he was born. Perhaps it did, no room in the inn. I am suggesting that it happened throughout the life of Jesus. That he was, as Isaiah foretold 700 years earlier, despised and rejected by mankind. That Jesus was flat out rejected by the religious leadership, the people that should have embraced him. That the political leaders had only a passing interest in Jesus and maybe found perhaps he could be entertaining. And even on the night of his arrest, the very people he came to are going to cry out, crucify him crucify him. He came unto his own, the King James said, and his own received him not. Yeah, I'd be ticked. (laughs) My anger would go from zero to 60, just like I was a Tesla. But you don't see that in God. You don't see even a hint of anger coming from God in all of this. We sure don't see his anger at Christmas. What we see is his patience. God has every right to be angry, every reason to be angry, but he's slow to anger. I think that if I were God, I'd have blown my top if the rejection wouldn't have really made me blow my top. Shortly after Jesus' birth, when Herod commits wholesale infanticide, I would be really smoking. I mean, it's a dark moment in the Christmas story. King Herod, who has been placed there by the Roman government to be the king of the Jews, he's very insecure in his position. And some magi, the King James calls them wise men, come from the east and they go to King Herod and they say, where's the one who is born king of the Jews? I got to tell you, that's not a wise kind of thing to ask a king. Where's your replacement at? Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And I can imagine Herod's response. A new king? (laughs) I will see him dead. You can imagine that. He tells the Magi, well, could you go and find him? And when you find him, report back to me, because I'd love to worship him too. It's not what he has in mind. The Magi are warned and dream, don't go back to Herod. They go back home. 
Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, is instructed to flee the area. He takes Mary and Jesus and flees. And Herod's plan to kill Jesus is thwarted. But what happens is unthinkable. It's dark. It's something that makes me angry. Even 2,000 years later. It says in Matthew 2.16 that when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. (laughs) Yeah, God has every reason to be angry, but he's slow to anger. God's anger It isn't what we would expect. It is not like a Tesla. It is not like your pastors. It's different than we would expect. I've only seen one guy light a fire with gasoline. He was okay in the end, but he knew it was a bad idea as soon as he did it. It's always a bad idea to light a fire with gasoline. Gasoline is very quick to ignite and quick to burn. It is volatile. It is dangerous. And some people, their temper's that way ready to explode at any provocation. But God is not like that. God's anger is slow to ignite. Listen again to our key verse. Just hear it again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Slow to anger. You know, the actual language used there, it sounds kind of funny to you and me. The actual language used there indicates that God is long of nose. It almost seems blasphemous to say God has a long nose, right? But that's what the Hebrew text says there. Long of nose means slow to anchor. You and I were raised in a Pinocchio world. And so long of nose means you're a politician. Did I just say that out loud? Long of nose we think of as being a fibber, right? But the ancient Hebrew, they felt they use that word because when you're feeling angry, your nostrils flare. I had a friend, a roommate in college, that when he was angry, I could tell because his nostrils literally flared. It was like a bull, like Ferdinand the bull, you know? Huh, how about that? And when you're angry and your nostrils are flaring, flaring, <laughs> your, your nose feels warm. It feels kind of hot, right? As your face gets red and your anger rises. And having a short nose means you have a short temper, a short fuse. You're going to blow up now. You're going to burn at any moment. But having a long nose, the ancient Hebrews would say, that means you're going to be patient. You're not going to fly off the handle. Your anger, it may be coming, but it's not in a hurry to get here. That wording in verse 34, I'm sorry, in verse 6 of Exodus 34 indicates God has a long nose. He doesn't get burned up quickly. God's anger is slow, and God's anger is just. By just, I mean it's fair. It's marked by justice. Let me ask a question. This Herod guy ordered that these babies be killed. Do you think that he should face any kind of justice for having done that? (laughs) Well, don't worry, because God's anger is just, And I'm pretty sure that God has already dealt with Herod long ago. God acts with justice. God acts with justice. His anger is just. It's fair. And his anger is just in its 
in this. It is just what you were looking for. Now, this is kind of hard to understand, so put your thinking cap on for a moment. The good people at the Bible Project point out that there's this phrase that Scripture uses frequently whenever it speaks of God's anger. The phrase goes like this, God hands them over to that which they desired. He hands them over in his anger to that which they desired. You can see this when you're reading the Hebrew Scripture, when you're reading the Old Testament, The people of God repeatedly want to engage with and involve themselves with the godless, evil nations around them. And God warns them. He says, don't go there. That is not a good place. Don't intermarry with them. You don't want to adopt their customs. Stay away from them. They are evil and they refuse to obey God. They're like, yeah, but we want to. We want to, we want to, we want to, we want to. And finally... God hands them over to what they desired. And then they find themselves trapped. And then they find themselves ensnared. And they suffer abuse at the very things, at the very hands of the very people they were longing for. And they suffer judgment. God's anger is expressed by giving them just what they demanded. You see it in the New Testament as well. As Paul is opening up the book of Romans, more than once you catch this, but in verse 22, he says, although they claim to be wise, he's talking about humankind. He says, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, reptiles. And therefore, he says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It is fair to say that the judgment that God meets out is often in keeping with the evil desires of the human heart. There's a Scotsman, he's passed away. George MacDonald was his name. I don't agree with a lot of things MacDonald taught, but um, I agree with this. He speaks of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus is asking people, he wants to let let them know the Father loves them and will care for them and give them what they need. And in Matthew 7, 9, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks you for bread, would give him a stone? And then Jesus makes the point, you know, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good things to your father, you can count on your father to give good things to you, your father in heaven. McDonald takes that concept, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And he says, but what if that child insisted that that which is stone is bread? That stone is bread, and that's what I want. I want that stone, it's bread. Give me that stone. And McDonald says, the father would be well justified in giving the child exactly what he was asking for. I think that's the way God's anger works. He often gives us what we demand, and we experience it as judgment. But I really want you to see that God's anger is not his, quote, go-to response. It's not his go-to reaction or response to sin. Now, I asked you earlier to put on your thinking cap I'm going to ask you to take your neighbor's thinking cap and wear it too. 
because you're really going to have to pay attention here, and your neighbor's been sleeping for most of the sermon. We spent some time in Exodus 34, 6. It's our key verse. We've read that verse probably a dozen times in the past three weeks. When you read that verse, verse 6, along with verse 7, however, you will find something that might feel like a contradiction to you. Exodus 34, 6 says, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and I'll put it on the screen, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yeah, that feels good. Let's keep reading because that took us into the first part of verse 7. What's it say next in verse 7? Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, right? What is that? This God who when Moses says, show me your glory, says, I'll show you my goodness. And he says about being compassionate and being good and being gracious and gentle. This God who when he speaks of himself in in the New Testament says, come to me for I am gentle and lowly of heart. This God who who says, I forgive the wicked and I'll not remember their sins any longer. He's punishing people? Wait a minute. He's not just punishing people. He's punishing their children. Wait a minute, not just their children, their, their grandchildren and their four generations? Great-great-grandchildren who don't even know their great-great-grandfather? What's up with that? Let me help you. You got those thinking caps on? Let me help you. And maybe you already know. <laughs> First, when it mentions that he maintains his love for thousands that should remind you of the Ten Commandments because it's not just thousands of people he does this for. It's thousands of generations. In Exodus 20, it says he shows love to a thousand generations. How many people are that? That's a bunch of people. That is a boatload of people over a long period of time. He shows his his compassion, his love to a thousand generation. But it's punishment. That's not for a thousand generations. That's what, three or four generations? I'll put it on the screen again. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, let me just give you a warning here. I'm gonna use one of my favorite phrases. Don't be a wooden literalist in this capacity. Here's what I mean. Don't be literalistic about this in such a way that there's no room to flex your understanding. Because if you do, you're going to really have trouble trusting God, a God who would, who would punish great-grandchildren. Hmm. Four generations. Is that what that means? I mean, do I have to count back? See, my dad's name was Hiram, his dad's name was Harry. His dad's name was, I think, Johnny B. Shields. And his dad's name was John B. Shields. I think that's the way that runs. So I have to be responsible for John B. Shields's and Johnny B. Shields's and Harry Shields's and Hiram Shields's sin. Is that what he's saying there? And, and what about the 
thousand generations. Is that a literal thing, like a thousand generation? Because if that's a literal thing, I can tell you right now, with my luck, I would be the thousand and first generation and miss the goodness, right? right? Is, that, is that what God is saying there? Can you see that the math isn't going to work? And can you see that we, who tend to be very mathematical and precise in our computer world, some of us, some of you aren't really that mathematical, but some of us, right? We can't be wooden literalists about this because that's not the point God wants us to come to. Most likely, when he says, I will show my goodness to a thousand generations, God is saying something like this. I will give away my goodness like it's water. Man, you need some goodness? Bring your cup. I got it. I got it for 10 people. I got it for 100. I got it for this whole generation. I got it for this generation and the one before it. I got it for a thousand generations. I will pour out my goodness like it's water, free and plentiful to a thousand generations. My punishment, that comes out in much smaller measure. It comes out in a very small measure because anger is not my go-to response. It is not what I am in my nature God is slow to anger. He's quick to compassion and grace. And this Advent reality (laughs) tells me that God's slowness to anger is something I can derive peace from. It brings me peace, peace of mind. And God's slowness to anger means that God does not give evil a pass. Frankly, you don't want him to give evil a pass. Think about the slave masters in Egypt. Israel is there in Egypt. They're the people of God. Along comes a new Pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, doesn't remember Joseph, and he's going to treat him any old way he wants to treat them. And Egypt's evil is unbounded. You know, they killed babies. They maybe made what Herod did in Bethlehem look like a cakewalk. They killed babies just out of economic convenience to keep the Hebrew nation as their slaves. Exodus 1.22, then Pharaoh gave this order to the people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. God's not gonna let that go unpunished. He's slow to anger, but he doesn't give evil a pass. Egypt's evil was unbounded and it was uninhibited. Have you ever seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner? It's a really old movie. It's from the 50s. It it seems kind of corny because we're used to a different kind of movie today. But if you can sit down and watch that and respect the genre that it came from, it's a fantastic movie. Charlton Heston is Moses. Yul Brynner is the best Pharaoh you'll ever know. I mean, he rocked that role. (laughs) And Moses goes up to him and he says to him, he says, this is what Yahweh, the Lord, this is what the Lord, God of Israel says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's response is so arrogant. Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. God's not going to let that go unpunished. Egypt's opportunities, they went unused. Some suggest 
that God forced Egypt to reject him. That's not how I see the story. God was incredibly patient with Pharaoh's, with Pharaoh rather. God was incredibly patient with Pharaoh. The 10 plagues, they showed God's power, inviting Egypt to free God's people. And the 10 plagues, they showed Egypt's stubbornness, a stubbornness that allowed them to pursue, (laughs) that allowed them to pursue to the end. When I read Exodus 9, verse 12, and you find us more than one place in the story, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, I kind of read it as saying something like this. If this is what you want, Pharaoh, then this is what you can have. I am giving you just what your evil desires want. I am giving you over to your own evil desires. God didn't let the evil of Egypt go unpunished. And you can take comfort from that. (laughs) You can take comfort that God's anger will be executed justly. He doesn't give evil a pass. And you can take comfort that God will never judge prematurely. He has a long nose. Peter, in 2 Peter 3.9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He waits because he wants us to have time to confess, to repent, to find forgiveness, even to find abundant life in redemption. I find peace in knowing that God responds in the right time and in the right way. And I find comfort in knowing that God always gives the opportunity for repentance and redemption. So I grew up in a Christian world that was very focused on the end times. Let me ask you, how many of you would say you grew up in a Christian world that was very focused on the return of Christ in the end times? Can I see your hands? Okay, good. Several of you did, right? Growing up in that environment, especially when I was a teenager and even as a young adult, I used to worry that maybe my unsaved loved ones wouldn't have a chance to come to Jesus. I mean, the idea that Jesus could come at any moment And the idea that he's coming as a thief in the night made me worry that the people I cared about who hadn't turned to Christ would be caught unaware and never had a chance to repent. And even as a kid, I knew if I go to them and talk to them, when I have talked to them, they're just not ready. And what if he comes before they are ready? Man, are they going to be swept away in God's violent, ignited anger? You ever have that struggle? Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's where I landed years ago. If God loved them enough to be born in Bethlehem, if God loved them enough to be laying in a manger, if he loved them enough to suffer the rejection of his own, who he came to, who did not receive him, and still go to the cross for their sins, then God loves them enough to give them every opportunity to choose him. He's not going to say, you know, I spent all the grace I have and it's too late. I'm not ever going to let you know about me in their lifetime. He, this God who pursues us, like one poet says, like the hound of heaven. He tracks us down and seeks us out. He seeks out our loved ones as well. Hmm. I do what I can to influence people for Christ. 
But ultimately, the decision lies lays between them and God. And because he's slow to anger, I know he'll give them every opportunity for forgiveness. And if they chose to turn to him, when they turn to him, well, that's John's Advent story. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a beautiful thing. I want you to see, I want you to see the slowness of God's anger. A lot of people want a God who can never be angry. I don't think you want that. I don't think you want Herod to get off scot-free. I don't think you want Pharaoh killing those babies and not to have to pay the piper, so to speak, for that. I don't want a God who never has any anger. I love having a God who's slow to anger. A God whose native language is grace and compassion and forgiveness, but he can do what has to be done if he's provoked. That is a God that we have. He has anger. He'd be wrong if he didn't. But he's long of nose. He's slow to anger. It takes a lot to ignite him. It takes a lot for his anger to catch fire. It's not his go-to means of interacting with us. It's only aroused when people work very hard to arouse his anger. And he himself, you know that he faced his own anger on our behalf. That when Jesus hung on the cross, God hanging on the cross, he is facing his own wrath that we justly deserve. And he does it because of his great love. Compassion, grace, slow to anger. When we trust him, when we trust him, we find forgiveness for all our sins. I kind of want to wrap up just thanking him for his slowness to anger and trusting him to care for our sins. So if you're comfortable with doing so, let's stand together. I, I tend to, and perhaps you do as well, like to categorize sins, like, boy, what Herod did, that was bad. What Pharaoh did, that was bad. But when I look into my own heart, I see that there are things in my heart that would ignite and turn God's anger on. Thank God for his slowness to anger. Thank God for his sacrifice on the cross for my sin. And that I was able to turn to him and say, God, forgive me. I know that I've sinned. I trust Jesus that he paid for my sins and he took your anger. I, I don't know if you've done that before. I would imagine a number of you, most of you have heard it before and done it. But if you've never done it, if you've never said, I really need something to take away God's anger in my life, then just in the quietness of your heart, turn your heart toward God and say, thank you, Jesus. I trust that you died in my place. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I will follow you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your nature and who you are. That by nature, you're not an angry God, but you're a loving, compassionate, gracious God. We thank you that you're slow to anger. If you were not slow to anger, I think the story of humankind would have ended with the first bite of the forbidden fruit. But because of your slowness to anger, we have opportunity to respond to your grace. I pray that all of us have done that, that in our heart we have said, yep, I am so sorry that I have 
been so stupid and offensive to you, God. I believe Jesus died on my behalf and I will trust him and follow him. You, God, desire to hear that. You long to hear that so you can take away our guilt and our shame and make us not objects of wrath, but objects of grace. So we do that in Christ's name. We thank you for your slowness to anger. We thank you for your pouring out of goodness to a thousand generations through Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.